good morning, First Family. If you're glad to be inside, say amen. amen. The rest of you can be excused, all right? The reason that I say that is because it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Whether you're watching us on a live stream or you're here in person, we are awfully glad to share this time with you. We're launching a new series today entitled Live. Live this way, live that way. You're told to live in a lot of different ways. Well, of course, in the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how God wants us to live. And it starts in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. My friend Jimmy read it so well. Live renewed. Friends, let me tell you, when we say we're going to live renewed, it means that we're going to live in a way that is different than the rest of the world around us. Our lives will be changed, transformed from what we used to be to what God longs for us to do. So when we say live renewed, we mean a particular direction. It doesn't mean we always get it right, but it certainly means we're headed in the right direction. I want you to do something for me right now. As we start, we're gonna take a look at somebody who lived a renewed life, all right? Take out your hymnal, will you? It's this blue book, you remember these? We used to use these. Now some of you are already worried, is Darren gonna sing? You're in luck. The answer is no, he's not, all right? But I want you to turn to hymn number 470. It's a song that if you've been in church very long at all, chances are good that you have sung this song. It is, it's about 60 years old. It is a song that has been used in a lot of different places. Let me just read it to you. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I'd be drifting like a ship without a sail. Without him, I'd be dying. Without him, I'd be enslaved. Without him, life would be hopeless. But with Jesus, thank God I'm saved. Jesus, oh Jesus, do you know him today? Don't turn him away. Jesus, oh Jesus, without him, how lost I would be. Now, you know that song more than likely. If you're here or watching, then you've heard it sung. But what you may not know is a little bit of the story behind it. Take a look at the bottom of the page, would you? Right down there where it says author and music. I want you to see that name, Mylon Lefevre. Mylon Lefevre, and take a note of the date as well, 1963. Mylon was a young man. Here's your first part of the homework for today, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to jot that name down, Mylon Lefevre, and go Google it, all right? Google it and take a look at the life that he lived. And here's what you'll find. When Mylon wrote this song, he was a very young man. And he had this amazing song, and he knew that if he was the one who recorded it, it wasn't going anywhere. Nobody knew his name. But as God could orchestrate it, and only God could orchestrate it, Mylon happened upon an audience with somebody who would let it be known, who could take the song and play it and sing it and record it and use it in ways that would bring honor and glory to God. He happened upon an opportunity to sit down with Elvis Presley. He brought the song to Elvis and he said, I've written this and I think I'm pretty happy with it. I'd sure like to know if you are. If you'd like to record it, I'd be more than happy to help you do so. Elvis took one look at it and knew this was a powerful piece of work. He did something. He did something that transformed Mylon's life. His life is forever defined by this song. Because here's what Elvis did. He said, I like the song and I'll record it, but before we do that, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to record it under your label that I'm going to help you set up. I'm going to help you create this, this amazing thing to protect this song so you'll get credit 
for writing it, and when it's recorded, royalties will come to you. That one moment, that moment in time, right there, was a turning point in Milan's life. That's exactly what Elvis did. And he wrote it, he, uh, he recorded it, and it became a smash hit. The Billy Graham crusade picked it up, and off it went to the races, and now, 60-odd years later, it's in the hymnal. What you may not know, though, is that Milan's path didn't always lead up. He made some mistakes. He made some poor choices. He would tell you that. Sort of fell away from the Lord. If that's you today, then be encouraged. You're not the first. Our friend Milan, in the mid-70s, came back to the Lord. And when he did, oh, God spoke to him in some powerful and bold ways. God called him to music all over again. God called him to launch a music band. Now, this is where some of you, when you Google him, you're going to go, this is the guy that Darren wants us to follow his path? Well, maybe not every part of it. Milan launched a music group. And he recorded some amazing songs that God has used in lots and lots of lives, including mine. What does it mean? It means to live renewed means you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all right. You just have to be willing to keep trying and keep being renewed, transformed, changed, reshaped. And it starts in verse 1, where you see Christ's shape-shifting call. He's calling us to shape ourselves in a new way. Be transformed. But it starts by choosing what we will do. Let me read it for you in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Oh, friends, here we go. This moment of call then, this appeal that Paul is offering, is based on the mercies of God. All the good things that God has done lead us to this. This call, this direction, this pathway. And what is this pathway? To be a living sacrifice. Okay, this is crazy. Are you ready? What he's actually inviting us to do is die in order that we might live. So that in dying to live, we can live in a new way. Dying to live. It's a, a, a conundrum. Sacrifices are not alive. Now, you may know this, but let's rehearse it just one more time. The sac sacrificial system of the Old Testament worked like this. Let's realize, let's uh, pretend that you realize you've sinned or that someone in your family has sinned or that it's time to sacrifice for the annual sacrifice for all of your sins. So you go out into your flock and you look around and you, you spot the very best one, the very purest animal you have, and you go and you take this innocent animal, the best you have, and you take it down to the temple and you hold it while the priest takes a long knife and slits its throat. That animal hadn't done anything wrong. You did. Why is he paying the price? Oh, this is what sacrifices do. They pay the penalty. But you see, here's the beautiful thing. Jesus did it once and for all for you. You don't have to do that for yourself anymore. This is good news. 
It means that we are free to choose ourselves to be sacrifices, not just sacrifices in the sense that we have to die, but rather sacrifices in the sense that we now live because Christ lives within us. This call that we have, it calls us to a, a whole new direction, one that is, get this, in the middle of verse, of verse one, holy and acceptable to God. Living sacrifices are that way. The, the problem with living sacrifices is they have a tendency to crawl off of the altar. What Jesus is calling us to do and what Paul is commanding for us is for us to choose to stay there anyway, dying to live. And why should we do that? Well, he tells you right at the end of verse 1, this is your spiritual worship. Worship is our only reasonable response in this new life. When we look back and we see all the ways that God has used us, that God has carried us, God has loved us, God has blessed us, the only thing we should be willing and able to do is praise him and thank him, sing praises to him. I will never understand people who come to church and keep their hands in their pockets and don't sing. I've often wanted, and I've never actually done it, it's not terribly pastoral, but I've always wanted to walk up to them and say, has God not blessed you? Has God not been good to you? Has God not shown his mercy to you? Has God not given you anything? The reason I haven't is because one time I actually did ask a brother who was very blessed with sourpussness. You ever known somebody like that? And I asked him one time, has God not blessed you? No, no, he said, no, God has never blessed me. Not once has God blessed me. Okay, this man had three grown children who each had three children and had lived a wonderful and successful life in so many regards. I laughed at him right there in front of him. I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. I love you, but that's stupid. God has blessed you in ways that you can't even or won't even acknowledge. I want to tell you, friends, worship is a response. Some of us think it's a burden to have to come to worship. I got to go to church to keep God happy, get him off my back for the week. I want you to think of it differently than that. I want you to see it as a celebration. God has given me so much. All he asks is me to worship him. But see, here's another mistake. Sometimes we think the only time we need to worship him is on Sunday. You see, worship doesn't just color over one day. We need it every day. The time that I spend alone with the Lord, reading his word and in prayer, I call it my personal worship time. Sometimes I sing in a quiet room where nobody else can hear. Sometimes I sing where others can hear. Sometimes I just quite honestly will get up and dance because this is an expression too. But I want you to see this. Worship. If you hold it inside, it's like trying to hold the ocean back with a broom. You can't get it done, or at least you shouldn't. I want to give you a couple things to plug into your life here. One, a living sacrifice surrenders their rights. If you're going to be a living sacrifice, it means that you're going to have to step back away from defending your own rights. 
Now, some of you are going to check out on me right there. I understand. We as Americans, we love our rights, and justifiably so. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't. What I'm saying is, when it comes to a matter of obedience to the Lord, a living sacrifice surrenders their rights. I encourage you to join me in being that very thing. Recognize also, you will worship something. Your choice is who or what. Let me encourage you, friends, choose wisely. Last night, I watched, and maybe you did too, the Miami Dolphins played the Kansas City Chiefs. And there were thousands of worshipers who came. They came, and when the game started, it was minus four degrees. Wind chill made it feel like negative 17. Makes you feel warmer here already. Well, I want to encourage you to recognize that they sat there for more than three hours. They sat there. And not only did they sit there, they let their voices be heard. By the time the game ended, it was minus seven. Wind chill had dropped to minus 22. These worshipers were not to be denied. They danced. Some of them even sang. But I want to encourage you to recognize they, as passionate as they were, were not worshiping something eternal. I want to encourage you to worship Jesus, the only one who really is worthy of it. When we get this part about being a living sacrifice down, then Christ offers us a brave and bold command to surrender. Surrender to a new way of being. And he starts with a negative in verse 2. Here's what to stop doing. Let's pick it up there in verse 2. Don't be conformed in this world, to this world. The way it's phrased in Greek has with it the idea of a negative admonition. Stop what you're doing and surrender to a new direction. Because you are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because you're worshiping, then here's what you are to do. Stop letting the world press you into their mold. They'll keep trying. This is the essence of it. They're going to push and pull and try to press you into what they want you to be. And they're going to tell you, you have to think like this and you have to be like this. And if you want to be successful, you have to, to exist like this. And don't step out of these because this is not acceptable. No, instead, the command to not be conformed means I'm going to be swimming upstream. Any dead fish can float downstream. Instead, embrace God's call to reject conformity to everybody else and to live what I and many others have called a crucified life, a life that says Jesus means more to me than popularity. Here's something I want you to plug into your life. Live in such a way that your life is remarkably different from culture. If there's no difference between you and the things that we see around us, you're doing it wrong. I want to encourage you, friends, recognize today that a call to Christ is a call to Christ and his life, not the one of popularity and ease. So, okay, Darren, I get it. I'm not going to be conformed anymore. Now what do I do? 
Well, that surrender leads us to a Christ-transformed life. A transformed life. See it in the second part of verse 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, the crucified life is a transformed life. It means that I've chosen to reject the conformity of everything around me, lay myself on the altar, and worship the only thing that lasts. It's the same word, transformed, that we see translated transfigured in Matthew 17. See, when Jesus was transfigured, it wasn't just his, his, his face that was changed. It wasn't just his body that was changed. It was that everything about him was changed. It was so overwhelming that the three disciples who came with him, Peter, James, and John, they said, let's just stay here. This is such a good place. Let's just stay here. They realized that the change that Jesus had experienced was something they wanted too. This transformation, it's something that we all hope for. Most of the resolutions that we made back a couple of weeks ago, they are to transform ourselves. Well, what if there was a way, what if there was a way to, to do that more easily? Wouldn't that be great? So one of my favorite comic strips is Calvin and Hobbes. I will just confess that I, I love to read those comic strips and have for a long time. Calvin, if you're not familiar with the strip, Calvin is a, a, a boy about eight, ten years old. He has a stuffed bear, a stuffed tiger that is like a teddy bear to him. And to everybody else in the world, it's just a stuffed tiger. But to Calvin, in his imagination, in his world, Calvin is a living, Hobbes is a living being. This adventurous pair, Calvin and Hobbes, go on lots of wonderful adventures together. My favorite ones, though, involve this cardboard box. I brought one with me today. This cardboard box that on the side of it, they write a word, transmogrifier, to be transmogrified, trans, transition, Mogrify, state of existence, change who you are. Wouldn't it be great if we had a box like that? See, when Calvin puts himself in the box, an amazing transition happens. And the best part is that Calvin can choose it. If you read the comic, he's got a little dial here on the side that says, what do you want to be? A baboon? An eel? A tiger? And there's also room to write something else. And so what Calvin does is he steps into the box, waits a moment, steps back out, and whatever he set the dial to in his mind, in his world, and certainly to Hobbes, he is. What if we could transition that easy? Wouldn't that be awesome? We could just set the dial to Christ-likeness, and then we just jump right in and we say, hey, now we're good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be changed, and then when I step out, I'll be different. I wish it was that easy. You see, when I step into the box and I stand here, here's the problem. It only goes up to about the middle of my shin. But what does it say there in the middle of verse 2? The renewal of what? Your mind. Maybe then what I need to do is put it on my head. Wear it as a hat. Maybe that'll help me. The reality is, 
I need to put all of me in that box. Every part of me needs to go in. Not just my feet, not just my head. And not into a silly old cardboard box. But into the transformation that Christ longs to give me. I'm a guy of lists. If you're one who has worked with me very long at all, you know that. You know that I keep these lists to keep me on track. My ADHD, that blessing that keeps on giving, it causes me to get distracted easily. So I write these lists to make myself reminded of what it is that I want to do. And so I sat down and I said, okay, what are, for those who are like me, hallmarks of a transformed life? What are some things they should look for, we should look for, excuse me, in the life that we're living in order that we too can be transformed? Here's just, it's not an exhaustive list, but here's just a few of them that I think are worth consideration. First one, repentance. When you go to Acts chapter 2, you find the very first Christian, Christian sermon. Jesus has just ascended into heaven. Peter steps up and proclaims the gospel in a bold and powerful way, and the people are smitten. And what is it that Peter says back when they say, what should we do now? What does he do? He says, repent. It doesn't mean I'm going to change a degree or two. It means I'm walking this way. I stop and I turn around and I walk the other way. Repentance, it means that I'm shifting my path because I don't want to go the path that I was on before. Repentance, this is not a one-time-and-done deal. It's something that we need to do over and over and over again. Let's keep going. Humility. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, emptied himself and became humble in the form of a servant to buy your freedom. Humility. It doesn't mean thinking less of myself. It means thinking of myself less. I want to encourage you today. Ask God to teach you that. Three, selfless love. An agape kind of love that says, I'm going to love you even if you don't like it, even if you don't want me to. I'm not going to make it about conditions. I'm not going to ask you to perform to get my love. I'm just going to love you. You'll find it in 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Then out of the first three comes the fourth one, compassion for the lost when we realize just how awesome it is to be God's, it'll cause us to feel an empathy for those that don't know God. Today, I want to encourage you to ask God to give you a compassion for the lost. For some of us who have been saved a long time, we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. Let us instead embrace the opportunity God has given us to be like Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 where he looks out at the city of Jerusalem and weeps over them. Here's another element to it, a growing love for worship and for God's people. Right after the first sermon in Acts chapter 2, we see the overflow of it and the way that people responded to the church and to one another. A growing love for worship means that I don't reserve it just for Sunday, Something that goes with me every day. Here's another element to it. A desire for spiritual growth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable to the man of God or the woman of God for correcting, teaching, rebuking, 
These elements all cause me to say, I need to grow. I want correction. Help me, Jesus, become more like you. Here's another element to it, a loss of taste for things that are not in keeping with God's word. You know, in Colossians chapter 3, the word of God is really clear. Put to death the things that are in the world, that are of the world. Give them no place in your home or your heart. That's a hard thing to do, especially when the world presses in around us at every corner. But a loss of taste for the things of the earth means we're growing in our taste for the things of heaven. A willingness to serve God and his people. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We call it the Great Commission. A reminder that we're on our way. As you're going, take the gospel with you. And finally, a desire to share the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be my witnesses. Not they shall be my witnesses. Not you send the money and somebody else will be the witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. Friends, when we do these things, they are reflective of a change within, a transformed life. So how do we get started? Well, here's a couple of things to plug into your life. Start by taking out the trash. Inviting transformation means setting old things aside. I was cleaning our house yesterday, and you know, I was thinking something stinks, and it was something that we had thrown away a couple of days ago that was funkifying the whole house, at least it was in my nostrils. Wow, that stinks. I couldn't wait to get it out. Some of us get nose blind to that in our lives. It's time to ask God to make us smell it again and get that trash out of our lives. Here's the second thing. With Christ as your guide, give yourself time and room to grow. This opportunity then to grow means that I give myself time to do it. Because I want to be clear, finding transformation takes time. It takes time. See, when I started walking with Jesus some years ago, I thought I would be always on an upward trajectory. I thought it would always be and only be consistently upward. But I want to tell you, finding transformation takes time and allows my, allow, an allowance on my part to make mistakes. Instead, my spiritual journey, if you were to graph it, looks a little like the commodity market or the stock market. Ups and downs, peaks and valleys, some days good, some days not as good. And you know what? That's okay. Because that's what we find in the pages of Scripture and those who walked with the Lord in our past. Finding transformation takes time. Give yourself time, space, room to continue to grow. That brings us to the last part of verse 2, and I, wanna, I want you to embrace this. We are transformed not just for our own purposes, but we're transformed for our kingdom assignment to reflect God's glory. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So here's what it calls me to. I'm transformed. I'm no longer conformed. I'm rejecting that and I'm a living sacrifice. So now what do I do? A crucified life surrenders my will to God's will. I'm placing my will in his care and I'm saying, God, use me wherever you want me to be. You want me to work here? I'll work here. You want me to go there? I'll go there. My 
life is yours. My crucified life only has one will, and it's yours, God. Lead me. And that brings us to the next part. It's one thing to do that with our hearts, but let me go back to this box. When I stand in this box, it means that all of me comes together with it. My body should be transformed as well. Every part of me goes. Imagine, if you will, that I was trying to stand in this box and go back to my Bible. That would be rather difficult. Some might say impossible, and I would have to agree. But many of us try to split ourselves up that way by saying, well, I'll be this way on Sunday, and I'll be that way the other six days of the week. I want to encourage you to recognize every part of you comes along for the ride when you're transformed by Christ. And why is that? Because God's will and my kingdom assignment is what I was designed for. It's what I long for. It's what you should long for. This is an opportunity then to find it. It may not be what we expected, but it will definitely be eternal in nature and exactly what God designed us for. I'll give you one last thing to plug into your life. You'll find what you're looking for. Seek Christ's kingdom first. What do I mean when I say you'll find what you're looking for? Yeah, if you're looking to self-improve, then you'll find that for yourself, but it may not be eternal in nature. Christ's kingdom is. There's only three things that last. We've said this over and over again. We'll say it again. God, his word, and people. Invest in those three, friends. Now we're in decision time. What will you do about what you've heard today? After all, if this is supposed to be a worship service, then this part of worship demands a response. You get to do something about what you've heard. Now, you have a lot of choices. One of them is you can say, I need to know Jesus on a personal level. I've never encountered Jesus in a personal way. I know others have. I've heard about him, but I I don't know Jesus personally. I want to tell you, friend, you can If you'd say today, I want to know Jesus as my Savior, it's as easy as ABC. One, admit that you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you needed saving in the first place. That's the first step. B, believe in Christ as your Savior. It's a chance for you to acknowledge that he is God's Son. And C, confess him as your Savior. That's not everything, but that's a good start. If you want to do that today, then here's what I want you to do. Come down and meet me while we sing in just a moment. Maybe you've done that long ago, but you've forgotten how important, how valuable that was. Here's your chance to get that started again, to let the transformation start once more. Maybe you need to come to this altar, kneel down and say, Lord, I'm here for a second chance. Or maybe you need to pray for somebody else that you know is struggling. Or maybe you need to pray for someone who is hurting, somebody who's sick, somebody who's broken down. This is your day. What will you do? Will you allow the world to press you into its mold, or will you be transformed into the living sacrifice that lives with a renewed purpose and direction? Let's pray together. I know, Lord Jesus, that because of your kindness and because of your mercy, you have given us the chance to be here together today. Maybe some of us didn't know we were coming. Maybe some of us didn't know we needed to be here. Maybe some of us didn't know this was coming today, but Lord, you did. In your heart, you had already set aside this day 
to speak a word of life, hope, and truth into each of us. I pray, Lord, for those who need to respond, whether it's to come down here and talk to me, come to this altar, I pray for freedom in this place, God, and that you would show your glory right here and right now. I pray, Lord, for each of those who are hurting, who are struggling, who are wounded, and I ask for your mercy, Lord. I thank you today that you delight in fresh starts. So we receive it today, Lord, as we continue to pray for the renewal that you mean for us to have, first in our minds and then everywhere else. Will you guide us now in this invitation time, Lord? We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's your chance. What will you do with this invitation time? It's up to you. Stand and sing with me as you come.